and we are live. Hello, hello, and welcome to Strong Tea. I'm Vicky. And I'm Katie. And welcome to another episode. I can't even remember what number we're up to now, but we are racking through them, aren't we? Lots and lots available on the back catalogue. And today won't disappoint. We've got a very special guest with us today. Um, Again, talking about subjects that we should be talking about. And that's the whole thing behind Strong Tea is demystifying things, breaking through taboos and just bringing up subjects and laying it bare of all the things that we should be learning more about, educating ourselves and just talking more about so before we get into it, let's see what we're drinking. George, our guest, what are you drinking? Uh, so I am drinking a cup of tea, uh, which I don't normally drink, but I thought obviously I'm coming on this show, so I have to get some tea. <laughs> um, but I, I panicked. I, I had it was about five minutes before we were supposed to start, and I remembered that I was supposed. To, I need to have. I want to have a cup of tea, and then I quickly started making one, and then I spilt the first one. Um, as I was coming to to the pod, so then I quickly cleaned that up. So then I got a second one. I put that on the desk, and then as I sat down, my knee hit the desk and spilt the tea onto the desk. So I've got like a wet, I've got a wet like um, tea towel next to me and a half filled cup of tea. Um, so it started strong. Denied. <laughs> the, the, the tea, the tea journey is not going well for you. Yeah, I think it, it knows that this isn't. I'm doing this for show. It's like it's red sensed me, and it's like, nah, you're you're not you're not the one. The tea uh, gods normally, are not happy. Exactly. I'm normally a coffee drinker, which is obviously like blasphemy. Um, oh. So the tea is not, yeah, not enjoying me. But. So even half a cup of tea isn't really going to touch the sides if you're normally a coffee man. I'm um, normally I'm like a strong coffee as well. I'm like a double espresso. Oh. Like my my dad's so much worse. My dad has like you know the power of a double espresso, but a whole mug of it. And oh, I've, wow. I've grown I've grown up in that kind of culture, so wow. I'm just like yeah, like rocket fuel. Yeah, <laughs> he is he is ridiculous. And people always buy him like um, you can buy coffee that's called like extreme strength coffee, and people always get him that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah. he loves it. Wow, that's it. And does he just like stay awake? Is he like buzzing all day? He is an incredibly busy man, um, so I think he he, he needs it. Um, every time I, I see him, he's constantly working on something. He's always got his laptop in front of him or he's reading a book or something, so he's very busy. Um, but, yeah, so I, but he, he, I think he sleeps. I don't know. I'm yet to see it, but you know, <laughs> it must happen at some point. You never know. <laughs> Not with that amount of caffeine. I don't think he does. What are you drinking, Vicky? So I've gone with traditional Yorkshire tea. Um, I'm currently up with the in-laws and they don't have Yorkshire gold. Now, bearing in mind, we're in Northumberland, um, you know, and I know that's not Yorkshire, but, you know, I'm from the south. So anything north of the wall is is north. Um, So, yeah, I'm 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 slumming it. It's just Yorkshire tea. And does it taste? Does it pale in comparison? Of course, it does. <laughs> disappointed. What's What's the difference between gold and regular? It's class, George. It's class. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> what a ridiculous question. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> Moving on, Katie. What are you drinking? Um, I have gone for um a wild apple and cinnamon with ginger. Get you. Mm, it's a pucker. It's a nice pucker, sort of. It's a wintry one. And this morning when I was like, mm, what tea will I drink today? Um, and then it seems to have got incredibly warm outside. And I, now I'm like, mm. I don't really want to be drinking tea. But, you know, it's it's quite a nice one. Although it's quite autumnal. Mm. Mm. Nice. Mm. Sounds posh. Yeah. It's, 
yeah i mean if you if you have seen vicky's tea collection it mine is just pathetic I, I tend to buy Vicky tea. It's become a bit of a thing. I buy Vicky tea and I buy as many different flavored tea bags as I can find and I send them to her. So her husband must be like, oh, for God's sake, it's another delivery of tea. Um, so and she's always saying, oh, I've got this and I've got this and it's this flavor today. And hers sound wonderful in comparison to mine. So it's probably quite, quite dull, although I am the uh, the exoticness of today's episode, it would appear. Mm. Exactly. Do either exactly. of you do? Do either of you have that little metal cage thing where you put the the like tea leaves in it? I used to. I used to be that that serious, but yeah, yeah no, I'm a I'm a bad girl now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's quite intimidating. If I call, if I go in someone's kitchen, and they've got one of them. Yeah. I'm like this person's a connoisseur. Like <laughs> yeah. I can't talk about anything. Yeah, I've got I have got one, but it sat in the drawer since we moved house, which was like four years ago and hasn't been out because loose leaf tea really gets my goat because you invariably get bits in your tea. And I, I'm not like a bitty. Person, no. So basically we're fraudsters on this podcast, everyone. Um, so we've called it strong <laughs> maybe, tea. And- maybe we should try it, though. Maybe we yeah. should do a loose leaf tea episode. Like it. Loose yeah. conversations. Okay. I know. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, before, <laughs> I mean, how long's that? We've just been chatting about tea. Yeah, but sorry. <laughs> what it's all about. It's fine. It's fine. So um, we have got a fantastic guest with us today. Um, and thank you so much for joining us, George, with your half cup of tea. Um, uh, thank you. I'm glad. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> we've got the fantastic George Mycock today, who's joining us, who is the founder of Myo Minds, and he will tell us all about that shortly. He's also former PT, strength and conditioning coach, and a eating disorder service assessor. So like lots and lots of, um, what would you call it, strings to your bow, I would say. Mm, yeah. So, and it's it's been a journey on how you got there. So uh, why don't you start us off and tell us your story? Oh my God, my story. Um, every time someone asks me this, I feel like I tell a different story. So people might who have maybe listened to other podcasts of mine, you're about to get a slightly different. Um, there's so many kind of steps that go along the trail. Um, I'll start off when I was um, a child. Let's go from there. Um, so I one interesting fact about me is I grew up on a zoo. I used to live on a zoo when I was a kid. Um, I can see the, the faces of my... That's amazing. Yeah. I just want to do um, a whole episode on this now. <laughs> tell tell so, us what that yeah. was like. Yeah, so my, my dad, um, I said my dad's a very busy man. He's also, he's one of the few people who's had a like a more twists and turns to his life than I have, That the people that I know. Um, but my dad was the, the head zookeeper when I was born. And my mum was like the admin. So she ran like all the, the money side of the zoo. Um, so they both worked on the zoo full time, all the time. Um, but even more than full time, they were there every single day. So we had a house outside the zoo, but we also had a cottage on the zoo or the owner did. And we used to stay there. So I would say four or five nights a week, I was I went to sleep in the cottage and then I went back. So I'd wake up at the zoo. Um, I'd get driven to school, I'd go to school, and then I'd get picked up by one of the zookeepers or my parents in the zoo's van. We'd go back and then I'd feed animals and help clean out things. And That yeah. is amazing. amazing. That wipes the floor with anything else we've heard. <laughs> Should we just end the podcast here? It's all yeah, that was nice. <laughs> what, what, what was your favourite animal? Um, I've got a few. So I had... We had two owls, one called Spirit, who ended up staying at our house. He was really cool, like a barn owl. 
Um, and then we had a, an owl called Boris, who I used to do, you know, when you see those like presentations where the people put the gloves on and they get the owl to fly around. I learned to do that with Boris. Oh. So I had quite a connection with Boris through that. Um, but then we also had a, a python called Arnie. Um, and Arnie was about eight foot long. Um, and my mom always tells me stories how the I was so kind of trusted around the animals and the zookeeper was kind of just like assumed I was fine that I would get left like with Arnie around my neck. Bearing in mind, he was twice the size of me. And as it, my mum would go on the walkie-talkie and be like, does anyone know where George is? And then one of the zookeepers would say, oh, he's just with me. We're cleaning out Arnie's pen. And she'd walk in and Arnie would be like wrapped around my neck, like not doing me any harm. But the, that that snake could have killed me like multiple times and never did. So, you know, I've kind of, I feel like I've, that's got to be a bond. So I, I feel like it would be rude not to put Arnie on there. You're like yeah. Dr. Doolittle. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah here's, to, here's to Arnie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. We digress. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to live on a zoo. I just thought I'd add that in because it, it was interesting. Um, and um, yeah, I kind of had a weird childhood growing up in general. Um, and while, also whilst I was a kid and, and kind of during that time on the zoo and, and af after we left as well, um, I mentioned my dad already. And my dad's uh, awesome now. We have such a great relationship. But when I was a kid, my dad was an alcoholic um, and he was quite um, like bad, I guess is, is the word I would say, in the sense that he was, um, you used to kind of, get brought home by the police all the time and you know I'd always I'd, I'd sometimes have to look after my little sister and I'd have all these kind of issues um but in the same time in the same kind of breath I always you know as a young boy I looked up as my to my dad as my kind of like you know role model I suppose um so I saw this like incredibly hard-working person who you know was kind of known in our local community as being like a bit of a menace and the fact that you know we have he always he has like big scars on his face and stuff that that from like you know fights and play when he used to play rugby and he was kind of known as this like odd person as they would say from where i come from um and kind of growing up i kind of had this this idea that you know, my dad was what i'm supposed to be um, and i've always not been that i'm very like emotional i've always been very kind of yeah i, I cry a lot i you know just i've always been like knocked that uh, I've never been in a fight. I've never done any of that kind of stuff. And so although people told me that was fine, you know, everyone told me that it was great that I was like that. Um, but as much as people told me that, I saw the respect that my dad earned and the the success that my dad earned and all this stuff from being this, you know, this form of masculinity that I saw that was, you know, this uh, like big presence and, and kind of you know, this kind of, yeah, this figure. And um, so I accepted that I wasn't what I was supposed to be. Um and I, the way that I decided to attempt to renegotiate that was through rugby. So I took on rugby um, from a young age and I became obsessed with rugby. It was all I did. It was all I spoke about. It was everything. And then when I was about 13 years old, I broke my back, broke my spine playing rugby, um, which is another big, big event in my life. Um, and then my doctor told me that I couldn't play rugby anymore. And that was really like traumatizing for me because, like I said, I lent so much on that. Um then I had to, because of where I broke my back, it wasn't near enough to my spinal cord that it was a, it was an emergency. So I had to basically just lie on my back for, I had to wait for nine months to get surgery and then eventually got surgery. And um, so I was out for a, just over a year. Without, but it, like, I couldn't even lie on my bed because it was too soft. I had to lie on the floor. I just literally lay on the floor in my lounge for pretty much a year. <laughs> um, I missed school. I barely saw my friends. 
um you know so it was obviously really horrible and um one of the things like one of the ways that i dealt with it when I, I kind of comfort ate and a lot of people would come visit me like what do you get someone who's just stuck on their back other than just food so i just ate i ate a lot of food and i gained a, a lot of weight um and then when, when i went back to school i was like 14 15 and you know 15 year olds aren't that subtle in the way that they treat someone when they come you know when they've changed a lot um, no one really bullied me like no I don't remember I don't have any memories of people like being outright horrible to me but I could sense this like lack of like you know there was some difference there um, and I attributed all of that to my weight gain um, and to the fact that I thought that I thought people lost respect for me for because of this the way that I changed the way that I looked um, so I decided to a way to do that would be okay I need to I need to lose this weight so I started um like I guess watching what I ate and kind of eating less and I started exercising more so I started going to a gym um, and I found that as I lost weight people congratulated me people gave me um, like more respect I felt like people you know, kind of gave me all this praise and it's a funny thing you know if someone if someone is in a, a you know um, according to BMI obese or, or um, overweight body which I was in if they lose weight no one cares how they're doing it or why they're doing it or anything everyone just gives praise and just says it's great and for me I was pretty much you know it got to the point where I was pretty much starving myself and I was I was exercising I won't say numbers so I don't want to give anyone like kind of guidelines or anything I was exercising a lot and I was eating barely anything um, and it was got to the point where my one of my surgeons tried to once get me to come in to deliver a like talk to his patients to tell them how to lose weight as quickly as I was um, and you know he didn't bear him like you know I don't want to trash on him because he didn't know what I was actually doing. He just saw me losing weight so quickly. But, you know, it was, it, that was the kind of praise I was getting. Um, so I was losing weight. And um, naturally, as a, a young person getting to the gym, I tried to find a community that I, that kind of like resonated with me. So I fell into the fitness community. So I following all the fitness Instagram accounts, et cetera. And I noticed that all the guys in that community all had massive muscles, six pack abs, veins everywhere. They're all kind of promoting this idea of like, you know, hustle in and you know, be, you're, you don't want to be like, you know, you don't want to be a, a, I don't know if I can swear on here, but you don't want to be like whatever. Um, you have to be manly. You have to you know, prove yourself as a man and work really hard. And, and you know, so and you know, for someone who felt like he wasn't masculine enough from seeing what I thought of my dad, and someone who felt he'd lost all his respect from his body, that was this ideal. Like, oh my god, I can get both. Um, so I delved into that so massively and realized, okay, I don't need to lose weight. What I want to do is I want to build muscle. So I started eating some more. Um, but as I did that, um, I still had these kind of disordered thoughts around trying to eat as little as possible. And um, so my brain kind of came up with this idea with what I'll do is I'll eat, I'll eat all my protein and then I'll make myself sick. And that'll be a good way to, to counter that. So then I developed what, what people could ca categorize as bulimia um, or like bulimic behavior. Anyway, I would, I would binge and, and purge. Um, and then as, um, as time went on, I went to uni. Um, and as when I got to uni, I stopped making myself sick. I'm still not hundred percent sure why it was, but I think it was something around, um i was worried people would catch me making myself sick so you know, they'd hear it or something and so i stopped doing that so i just was binge eating and all across this um these kind of eating disordery behaviors i um was um like fe feeling these kind of immense amounts of mental health strain and, and issues around that um and it got to the point where i was in my second year at uni and i'd been binge eating and i'd locked myself away from my friends and my and from not spoken to anyone and i got to the point where i was suicidal um where you know i would i was 
I was thinking about how I was going to do it and I was thinking where I would go and what I would do and how I would do it. And, and luckily one of my friends from uni came to visit me and she said that she was worried about me. She hadn't seen me for a few weeks and, and I opened up to her and I started seeing a counsellor. Um, and then with my counsellor, what I started to do was I recognised that I was hiding. You know, we, we spoke about this good George and bad George. Um, this this good George was the George that I thought I needed to show everyone who was masculine and and was goes to the gym all the time, always has like a very strict diet and does these things. And the bad George was my human traits. The fact that I didn't always you know, go to the gym all the time. I didn't always, you know, I, I had human behaviours. You know, I didn't always get the best grades. I wasn't perfect. Um, and one thing that we started to do was, to try and help me understand that it's okay to have these things was to start sharing with people negative things that I thought were negative. So if so, it started off as, you know, if someone asked me if I was okay, I would say, actually, I'm not, I'm a bit stressed or I'm feeling a bit down, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it eventually kind of kept going further and further to the point where I was talking to people about my disordered eating and my disordered exercise and my thoughts about my body and about my wife or was lacking muscularity. Um, and one thing I noticed was that all my mates in the gym and all my mates who are athletes, like 99% of them said, oh, yeah, I have that as well. Like, I think about stuff in that way. I, I have similar things. And I realized that, you know, in the fitness community, in the gym and in sport, we talk so much about how great exercise is for you and how great dieting is for you and all this, this stuff about how wonderful it is. But no one spoke about this this side of when it can go too far when it can be too much so I started my minds then whilst I was at uni um as a way to share these stories so we originally was just an Instagram account where we I'd collect people's stories from sport and with gym about their mental health struggles and kind of sharing all sides of mental health within sport um and that started off and I still have them on the website now we still got like 78 stories from different people um all sorts of people um we have got a BBC TV presenter on there we got like all sorts of like you know athletes etc um but now now we kind of moved away from that and uh, I I did my master's degree actually my master's in nutrition but as I was doing it I started learning about psychology and and um kind of working with the psychology department and uh, I started pushing more with my minds and I started working in research. I started giving presentations and, and over time I've now developed this kind of this uh, company, this mental health organization that what well, my priority with my minds is to improve the knowledge and awareness of this, this kind of this, these disorders that, I'm, that I, I've experienced and that I think a lot of people experience within the gym. Um, I have a specific interest in the muscularity side of stuff, but anything within the gym um, or within exercises in general um and yeah so now i work with different universities I, I work with mind um i do some stuff with the body dysmorphic disorder foundation i've do do stuff with all sorts of people um and i'm st i'm starting a phd um early next year looking into it as well um and yeah kind of doing more stuff with that and and as for me now i'm, I'm i've worked a lot um with my counselor and worked a lot over the time um and kind of started getting into a better place um where i have a better relationship with like masculinity and and see and myself and and kind of understanding that I'm, I'm okay where I am um and understanding that there are more things to me than the way my body looks and the way that I can portray this this masculine image in air quotes um so yeah I think that's everything I know it's very long and I've again I've missed all, all sorts of stuff but yeah Not that's to sum up I mean that there is so much to unpack and and we will we, we will get there because hmm. there are so many things that you have brought up that, as you said, with my minds, it's opening that 
door to finding out that other people are out there thinking and behaving in the same way. And before we go down the muscle dysmorphia questioning route, I just wanted to pick up on what you said about obviously with the eating disorders. Now that is usually affecting more women than men. So it's quite unusual to hear someone um, who identifies as male kind of coming to the fore and actually saying Mm -hmm. that they had an eating disorder. Mm. What's the kind of reaction that you've got from that? And is there, in your experience, is there more men out there who are affected by it, but just aren't saying anything? There's 100% more men affected than than we know. Um, partially, it's because um, so there's a there's a study. Um, someone did like a meta analysis of looking at all the studies on eating disorders, and it was about in 2016. So it might have changed since then, and it definitely has changed a little bit. But up until 2016, there was less than one percent of research on eating disorders was done, including men. So nine more than 99% of research was on women. Because wow. for, for, for a very long time, they thought it was only a woman's illness. So it could only be women who could get could get an eating disorder. Um, so partly it's because we just didn't understand it. So, you know, fair enough. It was actually interesting. I'll talk about it a bit more as we go into muscle dysmorphia. But when they originally founded muscle dysmorphia, they called it reverse anorexia. Um, and they they described it as the male equivalent of an eating disorder. So they said, oh, oh the, these men are trying to get bigger rather than trying to get smaller. So this must be the male eating disorder. Um, And then over time, they kind of researched it a bit more. And and now there's actually quite a debate um, on muscle dysmorphia as to it's currently diagnosable as a body dysmorphic disorder. Um, But there's a lot of people who argue, and I personally think it should actually be categorized as an eating disorder, because I think the eating disorder takes the the primary spot and the body image is kind of the secondary thing. But there's, there's kind of some debate there. Um, but yeah, but as for people, the way people react to it, um, I think, you know, I think for one, people's stereotypical view of an eating disorder, again, understandably, because it's all the research, is a, like you know, a, a middle class, normally white woman who's very skinny. Um, so, you know, I think the fact that that I'm a man who's got some muscle um immediately people think well you couldn't you couldn't possibly have an eating disorder um yeah and actually i'll have i'll, I'll shut up in a second <laughs> just a oh, little okay. caveat a little caveat i have i think i think i currently have a, a record of every single podcast i've ever been on and the longest episode they've ever had for this reason so <laughs> <laughs> i apologize um okay but another story i have is when when i went to uh, uh i once went to my gp um and I went for a reason not even to do with my eating disorder at all. I went for just like a, I think I was just ill in general, like physically ill. And uh, the doctor said, oh, it says here you've you've got eating disorder symptoms, but you obviously, that can't be right. You obviously don't have one. And he kind of like flexed his arm at me as if to be like, oh, you know, you, you, and then, and, and, and you know, I was, I was so deeply engrossed at the time too. I was like, yeah, you're right. And we both kind of had like a laugh and we're like, yeah, that must be wrong. That must be a mistake. Um, so you know even that you know, even the gp was like that can't be right um so you know there is that stereotype of if you're a man and if you're not super thin then you you can't have anything you can't have anything to do with that so it is always a shock to people do you think um and i this is probably a stupid question um but i know we didn't um talk about it much last time do you think that um muscle dysmorphia and body dysmorphia 
um, attributes to a significant amount of steroid use? Yeah, 100%. I think that the only reason, maybe obviously there's, there's the performance aspect as well. And um, like for people who are doing a sport and want to perform better at that sport will mm-hmm. use steroids. But if someone is doing it, if they're purely performance and uh, purely um, appearance enhancing steroids, so there are certain steroids that don't really affect your performance, they'll just make you look different. Um, then I think the only reason someone would go to such a extreme measure is because they have some kind of, their, their self-worth is tied too strongly into the way that their body looks so they feel like they it's a you know it's a desperate attempt like they're willing to risk some medical condition or some kind of medical issues um just to look different so i do think the kind of yeah issues around body image issues around, i think they, they all kind of dial under issues around self-worth i think body dysmorphia exercise addiction eating disorders which are kind of my kind of areas they are very much um they're, they're manifestations of a of a lack of self-worth you, know, you don't feel like you're enough so you have to prove that you're enough through these behaviors through this thing you know people latch on to these things and you know i can't speak for everyone but i think mo- majority of them they are that could you break it down um even further and actually explain what muscle dysmorphia is hmm. absolutely so um there's a couple of ways I could do this. So the, the first one is um, in regards to the, like, the way that we would diagnose it. So the way people would actually be diagnosed. Um, muscle dysmorphia currently is in the um, in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual 5th edition, which is what, for people who don't know, um, is what doctors or psychologists, psychiatrists will use to diagnose people with mental health conditions. So they'll, they have like a list of things that they <clears throat> look through, like symptoms, and if the person has them, then they can diagnose them under body dysmorphic disorder there's a specifier which is muscle dysmorphia so if you tick off all the blocks for body dysmorphic disorder the doctor can then ask you some follow-up questions which are are your worries mostly around muscularity do you do a lot of weightlifting do you, you know things things are i don't know them off the top of my head exactly what they are i'm not a clinician myself um but there are these these certain questions that will ask i think there are, i think it's around um are they around muscularity um, do they engage in exercise to try and increase muscularity, that kind of thing. Um, and then if if you tick them, then you'll be diagnosed with muscle dysmorphia. Um, so the kind of the, the generic traits are um, severe stress around um, people seeing your body or the way that your body's perceived by others, um, normally because you think you lack in muscularity. Um, and muscularity is a really key term there because um, people often assume with muscle dysmorphia, it's about being as big as possible. Um, and for some people it is, um, but muscularity also encompasses leanness. So for some people, it's their muscle dysmorphia is around, and it tends to it it from some of the studies I've seen, it seems to be more the case in women who have muscle dysmorphia, and um, it tends to be um, that they their muscle dysmorphia seems to be around leanness more so. Um, but the studies that look it's really interesting. I, I there's there's not as much study looking at people who identify as as women. Um, but the ones that do show that there is a there seems to be a difference in the way that they present. Um, and I think, yeah, it tends to be different. There's a really interesting one um, that I've read recently looking at adolescents in Australia, so like young like school kids, and they found that actually um, the amount of muscle dysmorphia present in boys and girls was pretty much the same. But the difference was that the boys... Um, they engaged in weightlift weightlifting more and that interfered with their lives more where the girls reported actually that they were more 
um, affected by worry, like worries around people seeing their body. So they camouflage their body more where the boys like actively like weightlifted and did things like that. So it seems to be slightly different in those kind of senses. Um, I've forgotten your initial question. <laughs> I do this all the time. What Sorry. is it? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think I've done that. I think I've done that. Um, I know we're in 2022, and yes. clearly things should be probably more different than they are. I mean, we've had lots of campaigns around uh, men's suicide rates, men's mental health. Um, you know, it's okay for boys to cry. You know, there's been a lot of work put into that. But do you think it's still incredibly difficult for men? to open up um emotionally and show vulnerability a hundred percent um that's kind of a big part of what i'm trying to do with my phd specifically is i'm looking at the relationship between these uh, muscularity oriented issues so encompassing muscle dysmorphia and other other forms of muscularity stuff so like the disordered eating the exercise addiction that kind of stuff more specifically Um, and that relationship with that and masculinity um, there's quite a lot of research looking at um, men who have high drive for muscle or men who have symptoms of muscle dysmorphia and their perceived um, lack of masculinity. So they're similar to me with my with my dad, who I thought I wasn't masculine enough. People who have muscle dysmorphia tend to report a similar thing. So there's some kind of older male figure in their life when they're a kid that teaches them whatever for whatever reason teaches them that this is what it's supposed to, this is what you're supposed to be as a man, or this is what you, this is the masculine way you're supposed to be. And then certain life events happen as they grow older that teach them that they're not that, and they internalize that I'm not what I'm supposed to be. Um, and then as an attempt to try and renegotiate that, they adopt these masculine behaviours um, and a big kind of, um, or these, sorry, muscle building behaviours in an attempt to promote masculinity. Um, and a big part of the kind of masculine culture in general is that kind of, um, people call it stoic, but actually like the the stoic philosophers didn't talk about ignoring your emotions. They they talked about separating them and recognizing that the, the, you know, you can the way you perceive something happens to you is it can affect the way you feel about it. But we call we call stoic now this idea of like oh I will not think about my emotions I don't. But stoics didn't actually say that. But you know a lot of the masculine kind of culture is is trying to promote this fake form of stoicism. This idea that you're you ignore the way you feel and that's what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. um and there's a really interesting i'll i will and i'll stop apologizing but uh, <laughs> there's a really interesting link because um they've done research on the social media and the fitness industry um that looks at the values of the fitness community online and one of the first of all they align almost perfectly with masculinity is something i found um so they they both talk about working really hard so in the gym you have to work really hard and in masculine culture you have to work really hard they both talk about being able to endure pain so you can if you can go for longer on this set and you work really hard then you're going to do good if you can work more hours at work and provide for your family then you're, you're more masculine or whatever um and they both talk about this idea of um in the fitness research they call it battling the self which is this idea that um your body and mind will tell you you need to stop it'll either you'll get ill or you'll you'll be sad or you'll be tired or whatever but it's your responsibility as a member of the fitness community or your responsibility as a masculine man to ignore that and push through and battle against yourself um and and you my my argument there is how are these people people including myself at the time supposed to know the difference between 
an emotion or a physical um, injury or something that you're supposed to push through because it's your responsibility to do so and one that you actually need help for because you can't get through it. Um, and I think that leads to so many of these help seeking issues. And I think it leads to, so, I think that, I think if we could help with that and we could help address that, um, I think that could help with the suicides um, like, that we're seeing in men, that they're incredibly high rates of suicide because, you know, masculinity plays such a key part. I saw it, I saw a research study, which always like terrifies me even thinking, about, I'm always welling up thinking about it, but um they this this um study looked asked i think they asked men and women but i'm, I'm still talking about the men here but um men reported that a successful suicide attempt was was more masculine than a failed one so if you wow. if you manage to to do it then you're more masculine so that if that doesn't show how much masculinity ties into this issue i don't know Gosh. what does um you know that's terrifying, and I think that you know, so I think that you know, hopefully answers that question. I think that it shows that men aren't aren't seeking help, and I think masculinity plays into it. And I think, as I've explained, this fitness world also could play into it as well. That whole social um, pressure on men and what they should look like, who they should be, and it, from what you're saying, it sounds like there's almost it's coming from two different angles. So you've got that general um imagery about what a man should be should feel should express and how and then you've got the fitness industry which almost sounds like a completely different kettle of fish but equally as damaging mm. is would you say that was accurate that there's almost like a two-fold kind of input to yeah 100 yeah. percent. i think i think they um yeah i i almost picture it as like i see this this man in the, you know, my research, I'm looking at men specifically, but I do think it would be in women as well. But I think we need to do more research on women to understand properly how how it is. But I see this you know, man in the middle and there's, there's the fitness community on one side and the masculine community on the other side and it's almost crushing him. And like, how is he supposed to get out of this? Because mm-hmm. you almost, you know, I think currently what we what we say is things like, you know, I have to be, um, you know, it's okay to speak as a man or it's okay to cry and, and these kind of things which are, which are fantastic and I, I love that we're attempting um, but what you're asking these men to do is to go completely against what they're relying on um, you know I think I think right now um, and again I understand it but I think masculinity and um, going to trying to you know adhere to masculinity and go towards masculinity is labeled as either um, something to laugh at or something that's just um, problematic and I under, and I completely agree because sometimes it is funny because they're just you know being stupid and sometimes it is problematic because we see you know we see what some men do when they adhere to masculinity we see the kind of you know the horrible way people treat people can treat women and, and, and all sorts of stuff um but some of these men are so reliant on masculinity and they they can't get out of it you know they're so overly reliant that I think the way that we currently treat it it's like saying to someone with depression like why don't you just look on the bright side mm. or like someone with eating disorder like, why don't you just eat some more or something like it's not that easy you can't just tell someone not to be not to adhere to masculinity anymore yeah. and just because it's stupid because it's toxic because it's bad like we have to give them another way we have to say you can you can be masculine you can adhere to that it's great but here are some nicer forms of that here are some like better forms of it that are great um, and I think they're possible I think that's out there um but I just don't think we're currently doing that and I think that that gets these people more stuck because their mm. option is either completely go against everything they believe and they think is what gives them self-worth which is masculinity or just get further ingrained into this community 
and get more smaller and smaller circles, smaller and smaller social circle. So what I think I'm hearing you say is kind of we've got this set ideal of different um, ingredients of what masculinity is and what makes mm. up a proper man, as it were. Mm. And we need to change kind of that menu. We need to change what those ingredients are. Do you think that is slowly happening? Because we've got role models out there who um, he's come to mind and I'm very sorry, but Harry Styles, for example, who is to look at aesthetically, you know, a man, according to that manuscript that men are brought up with in the terms of masculinity, but he wears skirts, he embraces that femininity. Do you think therefore that strict um, structure of masculinity is changing or has the ability to change yeah I I I do think I do think so and I think people like that who are you know I think I think ideally what we get to is an acceptance that you know I think masculinity and femininity although it you I think we tend to assume it means man and like male and female mm-hmm. because I think that's what they said that's what they said originally when they came up with the terms but you know masculinity and femininity is in anyone any gender can can be masculine and feminine there is no kind of limit to that mm-hmm. um, and I think they cross over in lots of ways and I think that's what we need to get to where everyone understands that that you don't because you're a man you don't have to be masculine or because you identify as a woman you don't have to be feminine you can you can be anything mm-hmm. um but I think the 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 subculture that I'm interested in helping and the one that I think we need to help because I think it will help everyone is those people who who believe that there's a certain man who the certain masculinity man but they're I think they're just written off they're just you know they're just like you know again I don't want to swear they're just horrible people um or they're you, you know swear they're just, it's fine okay, <laughs> okay. They're, they're just dickheads or they're you know they're mm. just um you know people to laugh at because they're silly and stupid but I think the more we ostracize those people, the the harder it is going to be to get them back. I think I think the the key is, like I said, is to come up with ways of saying, like we get it, like you know we don't agree with what you're doing, we don't like the way you're doing things, but we get that this is important to you. How about you do it this way? Like why don't you you do this? Like, it's like you see um, those things with like um, I know that uh, Paddy, you know, Paddy the Baddy, the UFC fighter, and um, Molly Meatball or Meatball Molly, and there I think I've seen Meatball Molly set up like a foundation in Liverpool around getting kids um, to fight and like go and do UFC instead of like you know get them off the streets so they're not like engaging in gangs or like getting knives and stuff. Stuff like that is great because that is a you know stereotypically masculine thing learning mm-hmm. to fight and things, but it's controlled and it's it's healthy and they're learning that you know so they can people can engage in these things and and they can still rely on it if they feel like they have to, but they no longer are going down this dark route. We've got we're guiding them. Um, whereas I think currently we're just kind of shutting the door on them and going like we're going to ignore you you're horrible no one speak to them and then but then they eventually they're going to come out the door and they're going to be horrible like they're going to you know they're going to have all festered in there and they're going to be so much worse and um, so that's a big thing that I'm trying to do is I think I think the the muscularity side of things these people who have muscle dysmorphia they tend to be very like quote-unquote laddie 
and they tend to be very narcissistic. In fact, narcissism is really strongly linked with muscle dysmorphia. Um, although I can talk a bit more about that in a second, if you remind me, because I'll probably forget. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, they, they, they tend to be these kind of knobheads. Like they tend to be people that people don't like. So we write them off. We don't bother. There's no help for someone who take, who's addicted to steroids. Like you can go to a needle thing, but no one, ha- there's no like steroid help group. There's barely any muscle dysmorphia help groups. I think there's one being developed in the UK, but there's barely anything. Um, you, you don't see them um, because because they're they're people that be, I don't think anyone wants to help because they're just written off. Um, yeah, so that's that's part of what I really want to do is I want to raise awareness for like these people need help, and if we can help them, I think it'll help everyone because it'll get rid of all these potentially really dangerous people. I've um, never thought of it from that point of view before. Yeah, I don't I don't think people do because I don't think we talk about it like. Um, but like, yeah, I think that's that's a, a good thing about my lived experiences. I was a knob. I was I, like, I really was. I was I was narcissistic. I was I really wasn't a nice person. Um, and you know, I can see that now because I've worked on it, and I can I can be different. Um, but I think I've been very lucky to find that, and I've been very lucky that I was born emotional and and things that I you know, I, I forced myself to be a knob because I thought is what I needed to do. Um, so I'm lucky that I've been able to fall back into just being myself, and I don't, hopefully I'm not as much of a knob as I I was. Um, you know, so I want to help those people who were in there because I think a lot of them could also come back as well and be okay. Sounds like there's a lot of common themes here that tie in um, from a mental. Uh, health perspective with the uh, muscle uh, dysmorphia um you talked about self-worth and respect from others um mm. that that you felt very strongly about is that a common theme that you find with people that you speak to uh within my own minds yeah 100 percent um i think i think i mentioned it earlier but i think i think a lot of mental health um actually may I, I retract that not a lot of them but some some mental health things especially eating disorders body and muscle dysmorphia and exercise addictions the stuff that i work with with my minds a lot of it is someone feels like they're not worthy for whatever reason and that usually their brain will attribute that to something which is my body doesn't look what it's supposed to look compared to other things to other people to things i see online etc um, and the reason I'm I'm not getting this respect from other people or the reason I don't deserve this self-worth is because I'm not that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to engage in these behaviours as an attempt to to try and feel better. And then you know, some, sometimes I don't think it's quite as um, conscious. Like I don't think, you know, when I have my eating disorder, I didn't go, well, I'm going, I feel like a bad person. So I'm going to eat this thing and then I'll feel better. I think it's subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think often that's what it is. It's that, that underpinning. Um, of like a lack of self-worth that manifests in that way to actually go through it it sounds like such a complex and layered mentally and physically kind of process and journey to go through and it's it sounds harrowing but how does muscle dysmorphia impact those around you so you mentioned about your friend came and spoke to you and kind of opened that door and then you went into counseling but how does it affect the people that are close to you yeah I mean there's there's lots of ways that it does I think I guess firstly more specific to muscle dysmorphia um it's it's really difficult because a lot of the behaviors that people engage in with muscle dysmorphia are accepted as healthy or as accepted as great you're you're going to the gym all the time 
and you're eating quote unquote clean foods, um, which I hate that term, but it's what people will recognize. Um, you know, you're, you're eating these foods that people think are really healthy. So everyone thinks you're doing great. Like everyone thinks you're really, like the word dedicated comes up a lot and driven and, and those kind of things. Um, so people don't tend to, to notice too much. Um, but I think, I think where people do start to notice is the kind of narcissistic behaviors. So I, I was going to mention this earlier and um, it's a really key kind of um, like difference is there's two types of narcissism um, that people can, can kind of go, can um, encounter. And there's grandiose narcissism, which is your stereotypical, uh, a grandiose narcissist um, believes fully that they are the shit they are the best thing on earth no one can question them no matter what you say to them no matter what you think they are the best thing on earth um and then there's a vulnerable narcissist which is what i i became and, and what a lot of people what is really heavily linked with muscle dysmorphia which is someone who deep down they believe that they're they're not what they're supposed to be but in a way to try and to renegotiate that in a way to prove to others that they aren't, they behave like a narcissist. So they adopt these behaviors. They talk about what they do all the time. They, they try and get praise from people all the time because they rely on it massively. Um, and one of the key differences is, you know, if, if a grandiose narcissist tells you all this, this amazing thing that they did and you question them about it, there's no way you could break through that. They just fully believe they did this amazing job. There's nothing you can say. They're, they're incredible. Whereas a vulnerable narcissist might say, yeah, I'm really smart. I'm really good at this. But then if you question them, they'd get really defensive and they might even break down and get really upset. Um, and it's that vulnerable narcissism that's really closely linked to muscle dysmorphia. So people around you can feel th those things. You know, I was, I, I very, um, very rarely did I ask people like about themselves or did I, if I did, I didn't care. Um, I was doing it purely as a thing that is, is what I was supposed to do because what I want, what I needed was for the conversation to come to me to talk about what I'm doing and, and the things that I'm doing great, because then I can, then, then I can prove and I can get this capital and understand like that I'm a great person and, and you know, kind of feel, feed that into me and make sure that I'm, I'm okay. I'm not a piece of shit today because this person's given me some compliments. So I can feel okay. Um, and it's amazing how much I relied on that because if I went if I went a day without someone complimenting me on something, I would feel it terribly. And again, that immediately for I think for a lot of people would go, oh yeah, boo hoo, you oh you didn't get a compliment today, like you. But it but for me it led to like suicidal thoughts. Like you know, it got if I didn't, it, I was so reliant on it. Um, and there are a lot of people out there who are like that. But again, it's it's hard to be it's hard to be sympathetic towards those people. Like it's it's difficult. Like, even for me, someone who who has been through it i can see someone be be like that and i, I still think that guy's a dick or you know like i still don't think you know so it's difficult and so i think a lot of people thought that kind of way um, but then more generally the way it affects people i think with every or with a lot of mental health um conditions are like similar to this um the fact that you're you're very distant from people you know i would skip social events i wouldn't go to family things i would miss weddings and parties and stuff because i needed to go to the gym i wouldn't um you know i wouldn't go to events because i'd be scared of the food that they had there because what if it didn't fit my macros that i had to hit or didn't have enough protein and stuff like your know, things like that um you know i, I would i'd, I'd stopped being interested in school i was really good at school um, and then i ended up dropping out my a levels because i just couldn't i couldn't keep up because i had to go to the gym i had to i had to make sure i got all my meals in so i'd skip classes or i wouldn't listen or you know whatever um so it affects you massively and affects all of these people around you in, in kind of those kind of ways as well did you obviously you've mentioned your friend that came and spoke to you but your family 
um and and people around you that were really close did anyone sort of flag up any concerns or was it all just like you're doing great look at you you're you know back on your feet again after your injury you're losing weight you know was it all compliments or did anyone sort of flag up and say well hold on a minute something doesn't feel quite right um I think people flagged up like my my mum and dad knew that I would have like low moods because that's the kind of depression and anxiety that came with it because I you know I think in my head I was balancing my depression and anxiety through this food and through through um, exercise so whenever I couldn't do it for whatever reason or if I got in my own head about something I would have to I would get really depressed and I'd be really down um and like my mum and dad especially with my when my bulimia kind of started to set in um or like my bulimic behaviors yeah they would notice that I would binge eat a lot um so they I don't think they ever realized that I was making myself sick at, at least at first um but they they noticed that I would suddenly suddenly their entire cupboard of biscuits or whatever would just disappear because I'd just binge eat um, uncontrollably. But no one, no one really questioned my exercise and my diet. In fact, I think, you know, a lot of people saw that as the fix because when I was doing my exercise and my diet, I, I, I presented as doing great because I felt really good because I was like, oh, I'm doing the things I need to do to be the quote unquote good George. So everyone thought, oh, why don't you, you need to go to the gym? You have multiple times my parents would say to me, like, you're really down at the moment, go to the gym. And that, but that would kind of further install to me, like, oh, so you think I need to as well, like that I'm right. Like, I, because I'm not oh. going, that's, um, that's why I'm a bad person. They think that too. So what, what, are, oh, sorry, Vicky. No, you go, you go. Oh, is it? I, I was just like trying to think if there was someone that had concerns, like that someone that they knew was struggling with this, what are the red flags? Mm. What are the, because it sounds like it can be very varied from one person to the next, but mm. what would you say are the things to, to, to keep an eye out for? Um, the main things are probably if someone is extremely distressed around missing exercise or or not adhering to their their diet in some kind of way, or if someone is extremely distressed at their body, they're always checking them their body in the mirror. They're always like wearing specific clothing. Like I used to always wear this one jumper that I thought hid hid my body really well. So I'd wear it every single day constantly. That was one of the things. So very similar to the eating disorder symptoms, like eating disorder things that people see. Um, but which is one of the reasons why I think it should be an eating disorder because it's really similar to eating disorders. Um, but it's just around muscularity. And there's obviously there's the things around you know being obsessed with muscularity. People, you know, I every single person I followed, if you like scrolled down my Instagram feed, it was a bodybuilder. Con- it was just constantly just like men in underwear posing and doing like weightlifting. As all as all my feed was. Um, so you did that obsession, that rumination, they can't stop thinking about it. It's all they want to talk about, mm-hmm. those kind of things. Um, but yeah, it is really scary to approach someone. Um, I'm actually working currently with a with Nottingham University on a tool around this. Um, we've we've kind of specifically tailored it towards personal trainers, so people who work in the gym. Um, but I think it would work for like um, friends or parents or whatever as well. Um, and we're also make, going to make one for GPs afterwards as well. Um, but it's talking about the, where the tool itself is for people who excessively exercise, but it works for muscle dysmorphia as well. Um, but it's talking about how to approach people, how to kind of start that conversation. Um, and one of the key things that we talk about in it is there are three kind of ways that you can approach someone um, with something like this or with any kind of mental health thing. I think this is a general rule of thumb. Um, there's avoidant, which is not really approaching anyone. It's avoidant is someone else will do it. Um, you know, someone else will 
get them. Like it's not my responsibility. Um, and odds are, if you're if you clicked on this podcast that's labeled muscle dysmorphia, you are the person. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're actually going to call this podcast, but I'm afraid you've nominated yourself as the person because you're interested in this more than anyone else is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that that doesn't work. Um, the second one is confrontational. So confrontational is you assuming that you know what's going on in their head. So going up to them saying, I've listened to this podcast. I reckon you've got muscle dysmorphia. I reckon you've got an eating disorder. Because you know, for someone who has that, like they're just going to put up a brick wall. Like, it's just going to shut, shut them off immediately. Um, and then the third one, which is the one you should do, is supportive, which is a supportive person understands that every single human being on this planet has coping strategies that they use to to deal with their own negative emotions and things that they do every single one of us does odds are every single one person listening to this podcast including including me still only i've worked on it for for years and i definitely now still have things that i do that i do to regulate my mental health i maybe do too much um, I definitely work too much. I definitely re- rely. I still have a bit of that vulnerable narcissism where I rely on my partner telling me nice things every day. Like, you know, I need, I need that sometimes. Um, you know, and, and you know, I think being healthy, mentally healthy is actually just finding the balance between those things. We always have one. So a supportive person recognizes that everyone has these things and this person's one's just gone, maybe gone a bit too far and you're worried about them and going up to them and saying, you know, Talk, talking to them about the fact that you're, you've noticed differences in the way they're behaving, you've noticed differences in their mood, and you're worried, and you, know, you but you recognise that everyone has these things, and you have some. Maybe you're open about yourself, and and just say that you want to talk to them if they want to talk, mm-hmm. um, or you'll help them if you can, even if it, you're just sitting down with someone and helping them Google something, or um, or even just just saying to someone, you know, if you want to talk, we can. That could be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the trick is recognising that you know. Mm-hmm they aren't you aren't their savior you're just another human being coming to coming to help yeah we do have that tendency to try and rescue don't we Mm. yeah Yeah. um I was going to ask and you just touched upon it there about um obviously there are still remnants you don't just get over these things and Mm. suddenly wake up one day and go I don't have it anymore um it's a slow gradual and a process that you've got to work hard on and I was just wondering how firstly how are you doing now and that kind of process that you've had to go through Mm. um how I'm doing now I'm doing I am doing much better um I I would say I my my base level is considerably higher than it than it ever was and so my base level of mood is is probably now at like normal human (laughs) <laughs> rate or maybe maybe a little bit lower I'm quite I'm very neurotic person I always have been I'm very emotional um I still I still hit lows really hard um it's something I've had to accept um really strongly that when I am really down my brain now immediately goes to suicidal thoughts and goes to the extreme lows and I think I'm always going to experience that and I've kind of made my peace with that because I've 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 made a deal with myself that I recognize that when I'm in a good place it's worth those horrible negative moments it's worth saying I'm, I'm well enough so I probably apologize for crying here it's worth dealing with those thoughts and those those ideas and and things and and saying I'm going to ignore them for today I'm just going to go to the end of today and then I'll say that the next day and the next day however long it takes and it's worth that in order to to get back to this where I'm in a better position and I feel better because this is this is worth it life is worth it 100 um 
but like I said, like, you know, most of the time I'm completely fine and I do much better. And, um, my, uh, my like routine with exercise is so much better. Now. I think now my, my thing is that I'm trying to find, like, I think I'm doing not, not, not that I think there is such thing as doing too little, but I think for me, I've exercised my entire life and it's been something that you know, I've always done that now I'm doing, I'm doing so little that I think my body, my brain is like, oh, actually, we do kind of enjoy it, though. So maybe we should do it because you do actually kind of enjoy it. So I'm trying to like find it. I'm trying to go up a bit now and find like where that is, um, because I always kind of tussle with like, oh, am I doing this because I feel like I have to or am I doing it because I actually want to? So I'm trying to find that. Mm-hmm. Um, my eating is so much better as well. Um, I think eating is is maybe not solved, but, you know, it's very rare that I have issues around my food. I still think I binge eat a little bit um but again i think everyone just overeats sometimes and that's normal so again it's finding where that is um my body image is still a problem sometimes um i think when i'm when i'm low i body check a lot um i'm currently house sitting in in another person's house and they have their by the like in our bedroom um that i'm staying in they have this huge um wardrobe that's doing a, a complete mirror the entire front of it is a mirror um and i've had to like open it so that the mirror isn't facing because I, I couldn't help but just like you know it's, it's some, still something I rely on um so you know, I still have to make these manipulations in my life and stuff but I'm you know it's worth it um you know I think it's just these are the cards I've been dealt and it's worth it's worth dealing with it um so yeah and then as for like how I've got here um one thing for me has been counseling um I think you know talking therapy doesn't necessarily work for everyone some people need a more structured therapy some people need different things but for me just talking about how I feel has always been really like great for me um I I feel like I again because I because I'm so neurotic and so emotional and it's the way I've always been I'm really good at kind of honing into my emotions and I've always been um I've gotten yeah maybe not always but I've, it's been natural for me to trust somebody else and um, open up to them so I can trust my counselor really early and just tell them everything and I, I tell my counselor everything I still see my counselor to this day um, and I plan on seeing a counselor for the rest of my life um, I see counseling now as something that it's um, it's not something to it's not reactive. I find it as like a supportive, it's a proactive thing that I do now. I see, I've got to the point now where I see my counselor once a month rather than once a week. Um, and it's just an update. It's something that I, I become more self-aware. I understand myself better. I become better at articulating how I feel and how, how I, how, you know, yeah, that's ironic. I was like better, better at articulating how I feel and then stumbled over what I was saying. Um, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think I think it helps me helps me a lot. Um, but yeah, I guess in in a short in a short um, succinct answer, I am doing much better. But I still definitely feel the the negative things. That I always I think I always will. I've got. I'm conscious we're coming to the end of the uh, of the hour, um, and I'm going to ask you a question now, which I'm pretty sure is going to take a long while to answer because <laughs> it's it's Vicky and I did a an entire podcast um on body image and mm. body weight and we looked into the statistics around you know how people felt about themselves the number of people um predominantly women um that were wanted to change themselves in some mm. way um and how different parts of society fuel that um, we also looked at diet and we did a whole one on diet and extreme dieting. Do you think that the fitness industry and social media are fu- are fueling 
issues like body dysmorphia and do you think you know we should be doing more to prevent that yeah so uh we've got a few answers there first of all um it's always going to be a long answer because it's me um <laughs> the, the second one um is to touch on the statistics there's some really um good statistics around men recently well and you may have already touched on this on your other podcast but just in case um there's a study in a very recent study um that i actually got i got tagged in it um this literally just before this podcast which is funny um um by i can't i can't remember the company but they they studied men in gyms um and they found that 40 percent of the men in the gym wanted to change wanted to like it felt like they needed to be more muscular or something like that um and and i think one in ten said that they wanted to take steroids in order to do that um so you know it's it's really prevalent um and then there was a study in in kids in america and um, by a guy called jason nagata who's like a hero of mine um and he did a research on on young boys in school um, and he found that 30 percent of of boys felt that they need or, or are attempting to gain mus- muscularity so even like small kids at one in three just under one in three are attempting to become more muscular already um and the end in in that group of kids that are doing that 40 percent of them were at a um, quote-unquote normal weight according to vmi which again is a load of bullshit but that'd be another be another podcast and um, but even still you know these kids aren't like you know it wasn't like all these kids were very very skinny they were you know they were like yeah just you know kids um, but they were all there's so many of them were trying to attempt weight and attempt to gain weight and then to answer the actual question um yeah so i think social media to, to sum it up very um, smallly yes social media 100 percent um fuels body dysmorphia fuels eating disorders fuels these things um i do think i do think um to some degree it's become like the scapegoat um i think you know there are there are more kind of things that influence it that we are not talking about as much because we're talking so much about social media like the thing that i spoke about earlier about these these men who have these kind of issues around masculinity i think that's mm-hmm. so many of these these factors are put to the side because everyone just talks about social media and um, so i think i think one thing we need to do is try and like recognize that it does but maybe peel back a bit and recognize these other things that are going on and maybe mm-hmm. try and um, go after them because the, the i think one of the issues with social media is social media is a hundred percent like so many of them are run by a computer that just goes what do these people want let's give them that so mm. it's made by us like yeah. you know it's how are we going to get rid of it if we're the ones like we're on one hand we're saying stop doing it but the other hand we're like oh yeah let me keep scrolling on tiktok you know it's like we're we're the ones creating the atmosphere mm. um so that's always going to be really hard to change and i still agree we should and there are ways that are doing it as a um, woman called um suzanne samaka i always get her last name wrong so i'm sorry suzanne and um, but she's running a a um, campaign at the moment where she's trying to make it that if if um, social media posts have been edited in any way there has to be like a, a little disclaimer at the bottom that says this post has been edited and stuff like that can be can could be a really positive way of changing it um, and I know there's a theory around social media literacy which is um, teaching people to recognize bullshit in social media and say oh that's that's definitely been edited mm-hmm. that's not real that's whatever and that could potentially help with these issues so people are still seeing it but their their filters better yeah. they can say oh that, that, i don't need to listen to that i don't need to look at that stuff um but yeah there's lots of research around um around social media um and yeah there's there's one that looked at image-based social media that showed that 
um, it seems that people who use image-based social media, um, that tends to lead to them comparing themselves to other people more. So people who use Instagram compare themselves to people more, and that leads to disordered eating. So it seems to be may maybe the way that we need to do it, which again, Suzanne Samaka's um, campaign might change this. It's called Honesty About Editing, by the way, hashtag Honesty About Editing. Um, I'm not sponsored. Uh, should be, <laughs> you're listening. Um, the, the, like, one way we could do it is, so the step is, it goes from engaging in Instagram, let's just say, um, that causes more comparison and then that leads to, to issues. So if we can put a barrier in between engaging Instagram and causing more comparison, yeah. which could be this information, this filter that mm -hmm. says, this mm -hmm. is edited, don't compare. Maybe that, yeah, maybe that could help that those steps. Yeah. Um, then there's also some really interesting stuff. And again, I don't even know if, you know, from my anecdotal experience, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this, but um, you can't you can't disagree with stats. There's stats. Um, there's some. There's a meta-analysis that looked at um, social social media usage and its link to disordered eating, in particular specifically. Um, and they found there was a difference between um, people identified as men and people identified as women. And they said that um, they found that women um, tended to engage in um, social media more through image-based image sharing um, and men was through more information sharing and they found that the link between disordered eating and, and social media was more through the image base so actually it didn't have much of it I don't think it had a significant link with men so they thought the image-based image-based social medias didn't affect the the men that they researched as much as it did with women um, which I thought was interesting because for me it was but obviously there's always outliers and yeah. research is, is always on a certain population and stuff but that was quite interesting so um, there seems to be some kind of difference there but also there's there's a lot of research on um, like bodybuilding forums where they look at men who are sharing information on that mm. and and the way that that can influence people and there's a, a guy called Stuart Murray who who um, compared bodybuilding forums to pro-anorexia forums and those those kind of websites where people can get advice about how to to engage in anorexia which are horrible websites but they do exist sadly um, and they, they found that they have a really close crossover they're almost you know, they're so similar but they're just they're just different goals um, and yeah. so the bodybuilding forums would talk about yeah they would talk about there was quotes like you know um, even if you have to steal money off your off your nan, I think one of them says or something, you do whatever you have to do to get to get these gains. Like you know, you can't you can't go to parties because of this. You're you know you're a better person if you engage in this stuff. Um, like you know, your doctor doesn't know about steroids as much as I do. Like you know, these kind of oh things. My God. Um, you know, there's there's a real problem with that kind of social media as well. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. It does it definitely plays a role, and I think mm. in ways that we might not even understand yet. Um, but I do also think there are other factors as well that we need to focus on. Um, yeah. We've covered so I mean, <laughs> you have taught me so much. In the, and I know we had a pre-chat before, but you, yeah, there have yeah. been some light bulb moments and minds blown during this episode, <laughs> especially for me. Um, we offer all our guests a final sip. Now that's almost a kind of, you know, if you, you know, I know you've only got half a cup left, so you're probably at the bottom now, um, but it's a chance to actually say something that you want to say instead of us firing questions at you. So leaving our listeners with any words of advice, any, any kind of thoughts you have. So the floor is yours for a final quick final sip. Oh, amazing. Okay. I think I'm probably going to regurgitate what I said earlier um which is 
if you do i'm gonna um, say with men specifically just because that's my kind of area but i think in people in general if you do know someone who is a narcissistic knobhead who engages in bodybuilding and they're the last person in the world that you want to help because they're being a dick like they might be the people that need help and if you do help them they might actually be less of a dick like you know mm. you don't don't write people off as just like mm. a knobheads like some of these people are adhering to these behaviors because they feel like it's the only thing they have um you know, show them a different way show them show them another way that they can prove themselves as good people um, i could i could listen to you say yeah. knobhead all day all day yeah i love it <laughs> brilliant find, find a knobhead and change their world change I their life that. yeah fine yeah. change it change a knobhead there we are new campaign hashtag change a knobhead there you go <laughs> George, thank you so much you. for coming on and being vulnerable and allowing us to just, yeah, just sharing your wisdom and all your experience and your journey as well. Thank you yeah. so, so thank much. You. Well, thank you um, both so much for having me on. Sorry, I cut you off. I just want to say, yeah, thank you so much for, for having me on. It's been really nice to speak to you. Thank you. Oh, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're like George and you like what we do um, and you love hearing us chat and bring in some incredible guests like George onto our podcast you can now buy us a coffee so if you go onto our website or, and tea. Go, or tea or tea although we've kind of discovered we're we're tea what's the word Amateurs. you know when your hacks you're not Amateurs. really yeah yeah we'll, we'll go with that um <laughs> but yeah so if you want to teach us the ways of tea um buy us a cuppa you can go to our support us page on our website and it, you can just follow the links there um, so yeah, that's it for this episode. We can't wait for you to join us again. And so it's good night, good night, goodbye from me. <laughs> it's goodbye I'm from me. So tired. <laughs> <laughs> what about the two Ronnies that did that? Goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks everyone. It's been great. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.